on part two of Alec Murdoch, we discuss his double homicide trial for the murder of his wife and son with a week-by-week trial recap, the trial results, and the aftermath of the case. Also, what's next for Alec? Keep listening to hear if Alec was actually guilty of this gruesome crime or if he was just penned as the easiest suspect. This episode contains discussion of murder. Discretion is advised. Welcome to An Easy, a podcast hosted by Lexi and Cecilia. This podcast is a collection of research based on haunting and mysterious events that will leave you feeling genuinely uneasy. Discretion is advised. Okay, so to recap, Alec Murdoch faced a total of 106 grand jury criminal charges, and that included financial fraud, drugs, and murder. And the main murder charge was a 2021 murder of his wife, Margaret, which she goes by Maggie Murdoch and his son, Paul Murdoch. Then there was a potential connection to a hit and run of Stephen Smith in 2015, and the potential connection to the deathly fall of their housekeeper, Gloria Shatterfield, in 2018. So he had a whole lieu of charges, and he was disbarred, his assets were seized, he was currently incarcerated because he couldn't make bail, he tried to hire a hitman to kill him because he thought that his life insurance had a suicide clause. He was indicted for stealing over $8 million from more than a dozen people with all these crimes ranging back all the way to at least 2011. So this is the recap on Alec Murdoch. On Wednesday, January 25th, 2023, the trial for... The double murder of Paul Murdoch and Maggie Murdoch began. So for week one, on Wednesday, the jury was selected. Thursday is when we start getting that witness testimony that introduced the state claim that a family weapon was used at at least one of the June 7th murders. So they found two different ballistics indicating that potentially two different guns were being used that day. Alec's timeline of his whereabouts that day was brought into question as soon as the trial began, and the 911 call was addressed, as well as what agency was actually leading the investigation. So we know that the first people to arrive on scene was the local police, and then SLED later came that night due to the high profile of this case. The current evidence that the state produced at the very beginning of trial was the 911 call from Alec, statements and video body cam footage from the responding officers, three recorded statements from Alec that he gave about the ballistics evidence, no, three recorded statements that Alec gave to law enforcement following the 911 call, Ballistics evidence that showed matches to the ammo from the crime scene to other ammo on property, giving that suggestion that it was a gun on the property that killed them. GPS data from Alex's vehicle, cell phone data from Alex's phone, as well as both the victim's phone, a raincoat that serves significance throughout this whole trial because it had gunshot residue and it was found at Alex's parents' house. And a witness saw him put it there. There was also gunshot residue on Alex's clothing and the seatbelt of his vehicle. 
I just feel like at that point when I was watching this unfold and all of the evidence that police had, I was like, what can he even say to that? Like, what can his attorneys even say for all of this evidence that has piled up against him before he even, you know, was accused of killing his son and and wife? So Alex's defense was what I would call rather weak. His main defense was that he was a loving father and husband. But we already know that him and Maggie were going through a divorce. Also, it's like, okay, that doesn't mean you didn't, like, you didn't commit all of these acts. Yeah. Like, that. that is not any sort of damning evidence at all. Yeah. Um, the other big piece was that there was no murder weapon, but which it does play significance in a lot of trials because that shows there's usually DNA on it or like shows who possessed that weapon. But with the ammo on property, it kind of showed that something on property killed these two people. His defense was also that there were no witnesses to the killing. The Marcel home, which is their hunting lodge, is on 1,700 acres. So I did not expect there to be any witnesses. It's in the middle of nowhere, which is perfectly curated for this situation. Another big one was that he was not covered in blood despite the point blank explosive nature of the bullet impact. So... Specifically, Paul's body was left in complete disarray due to the weight that he was shot. So it would be assumed that there was would be a lot of blood on him. But also, the state's argument was that he could have just changed. And they also questioned why it took law enforcement more than a year to charge Alec with the murders. So as the trial began, there were a list of 255 possible witnesses that the state had published and these witness testimonies are supposed to go on for literally weeks, which is what we see in week two. The guns that killed both Paul and Maggie were discussed. Officers and and custom gun makers testified that he made three AR rifles for the Murdoch family, but only one of these rifles were accounted for at the hunting lodge. For the first time, SLED agents confirmed on stand that the prosecution did not have any murder weapons for an evidence for this trial. So there had been like speculations. Maybe they had found it. Maybe something had happened. But this is really when SLED confirms like, no, we don't have these weapons, but we have these ballistic matches. And Maggie Murdoch may have actually purchased, picked up, and delivered the very rifle that was used to take her life. So Paul was receiving a rifle as a replacement gift, and it was one of these rifles that had gone missing. So Paul's rifle for Christmas may have killed them. That's just so sad. Like, it's those little details in cases like this that, make me upset like the little things I mean they matter to me in life so I think that's why they make me so upset but like just little coincidences like that it's so personal I feel like yeah it's a lot of um depth to the 
case itself. Yeah. And on week two, Maggie's whereabouts also get discussed. She texted a friend around 3.55 the day of the murder saying that Alec was the one that wanted her to come home. And cellular data revealed that Maggie and Paul's phone ceased all meaningful activity around 8.49, leading police to believe that they were killed around 8.50. So all meaningful activity means that there wasn't anything outgoing from them or anything that they were doing internally on their phones. Like, yes, they could have received a notification, but that is not them doing that. And Paul actually had two Snapchat videos the night of the murders. And one was from earlier in the day showing him with his father. His father was like shaking a tree and they were laughing and they seemed to be having such a good time. And then the next one was one minute before it was suspected that Paul and Maggie were murdered. It's literally so crazy. And I think it's interesting because we cover a wide range of stories from different time periods and we've grown up and seen snapchat and social media evolve into what it is today so to see it play such significant roles in cases like this is so interesting because it really i feel like snapchat videos from paul's phone made a huge difference in this case i felt like that was like the nail in the coffin because two things from that video so you don't physically see Alec in the the video that was taken one minute before it was believed he was dead but you everyone has testified that that is in fact his voice on the recording it is Paul and Maggie with one of Paul's friend's dogs and they're like talking about it and then there's Alec in the background saying something about the dog so that completely shreds Alex's previous alibi that he said when he first was interviewed he was at his parents house when this happened and also it shows that he's wearing different clothing from the first snapchat that was taken at 739 to whenever police started interviewing him and they came to the crime scene which that was one of his defenses that he didn't have that his clothing wasn't bloody from the from shooting yeah um so this is really like the week two is huge for the state at this point there was also an interview saying that alex said it's just so bad i did him so bad referring to his son paul so that also got brought into question during week two like what exactly did you do him so bad about the fact that you shot him in the head. Um, yeah, I, that's not a a good father and like someone who loves their family to me. But that's that's just me. That's just my opinion. <laughs> Cell phone data continues to really further the case in week two. Phone calls on Maggie's phone did not match the phone calls on Alex's phone, which led police to believe that the call log data from Alex's phone had actually been erased the day of the killings. On week three, most of the week's testimony focused on whether Alex stole money from the family's law firm and the clients. And prosecutors contended that Alex thought 
he was about to get caught stealing, so that's why he killed his wife and son. So by this time, in week three, prosecutors had called 47 witnesses in just 12 days. And there was really no order or rhythm to why they were calling people. It was just, you're next. Maybe it was, like, availability, but it kind of created disarray and, like, confusion during this trial. So that's why it seems that we're, like, hopping through everything. Yeah. I feel like it was it's already confusing because he has so many things against him. And I feel like it's all interconnected in this huge web. And if you listen to our first episode on it, you can hear us trying to understand that as we're like working through it. So that's exactly what happened during the trial. I remember I was watching recaps and like, wait, what yeah. Who is that? So it, I mean, it does take a minute. So witnesses and evidence includes the caretaker of Alec's mother testified that Alec had a blue jacket when he visited. Witness testimony about the financial crimes that Alec committed. State forensic scientists who tested the jacket for blood and gunshot residue. And cell phone data between Paul Murdoch's friends. So, again, just like the witnesses, some evidence was introduced but never actually, like, explained to the jurors, causing a little bit of confusion on the state's part. So, for Paul's phone, we talked about the Snapchat for week two. It was impossible to crack in 2021 when the murders took place, but police were able to get into it last year just with better technology And that's where they found those two videos of the dog kennels that were played. And police also decrypted the data recently from Alex's SUV, which is what he drove to his parents' house that night. This data included when the car was in motion, when it was stopped, even like when the windows went down. So it gave a lot of insight onto what was actually happening with Alex that night. That's so wild. Imagine we had that technology like... During Ted Bundy. I know. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like when he gets pulled over with his little beetle. Imagine we have that kind of technology in trials that were huge, notorious, you know, crimes. I feel like the, not only is social media and technology damning for these people, but it has empowered us to be able to look into so many other forms of evidence too. I feel like. With so many people, especially in the 70s, where they would just drop off bodies in random places, like, we would have found so many more victims with this kind of technology. So, that's definitely, like, sad in a way that those families back then didn't have the same access that we do now. I also don't think there would have been as many serial killers if we had the technology that we do now, but... Um, As for Alec, during week three... He cried and that was like his, he was just constantly crying and like rocking himself back and forth like as a soothing mechanism. It was not cute. <laughs> it was not cute. I kept seeing videos of it and I was like, pull yourself together. You're supposed to be this like Southern Mongol, like this big Yeah, wig. this conniving like. Yeah, pull yourself together. Like if you... I don't know. Oh, say it with your chest, you know, like yeah. own it. 
That's just embarrassing. Whenever he took off his glasses, I was like, oof, son, put those back on. <laughs> I was like, hide your face oh a little God. bit. Let's be real. <laughs> um, and especially whenever the crime scene photos of his wife and son were shown, that's whenever he was like in the most distress. Unsure if it was real distress or fake distress, but I think it's like the same argument as Johnny Depp's ex, where people thought that she was fake crying. Amber Heard. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I I feel the same. I think I don't know. I think that's a lot of people's immediate reaction to when they're guilty to try to get some sympathy, but because that's also part of his argument is that he was. A loving and doting father. So, of course, if that's the case, you're going to be crying during this. Moving on to week four is when we have the autopsy testimony. Um, Dr. Alan Reamer was a forensic pathologist. He performed the autopsies on both bodies. And she went into great detail about the wounds that Maggie and Paul were found with. She's diagrams of both the male and female body to really articulate what was on them or what they suffered um she did say that paul could have survived the first gunshot blast to the chest had he received medical treatment right away but the second shot was fatal for paul as he was shot in the head and at close range paul had his arms by his side when the first shot was fired and he showed no defensive wounds so if it was a stranger shooting him at closer range then I think that's what the state was trying to argue. Why wouldn't he have potentially put up a fight if he could? Or even tried blocking it. Paul's face only had scratches, but these scratches were consistent with a forward fall because he was unable to brace himself after already being shot once and having a fatal shot with that fall. Maggie had five gunshot wounds. Um, and this came from at least four gunshots, so one could have possibly entered and exited at different points. But five is a first, like, for the argument that a stranger shot them, five is a lot. I think yeah. it shows more motive and, like, anger than anything else. It, yeah, I think it also shows that whoever was there was comfortable in a way, like, If it was somebody trying to do like a quick shoot and dash type situation, I don't know that they would have shot him five times. But then again, like if you think about it, depending on the weapon used, it could be kind of fast. Yeah. I don't know. Um, But the first two shots were fired within three feet of her, showing again that close range between the perpetrator, and these two victims. The first shot was fired into Maggie's abdomen while she was standing, which caused her to bend bend slash fall to her hands and knees, which set up the first of the two fatal shots to her head. Next was, next forensic evidence was brought in by the state and SLED said that they tested several items, potential blood, which included swabbing, Alex's SUV, his SUV did come back negative for blood, except the swab taken from the steering wheel. 
which had Maggie's DNA. Maggie did have unknown male DNA under her fingerprints, but she had just gotten her nails done that morning. So we had discussed in like a previous episode that DNA evidence can kind of be unreliable and it doesn't show what, because DNA can last for so long. So Maggie could have literally driven the SUV and that's why her DNA was on the steering wheel. Same as she got her fingernails done and you know your nail tech's all up in there. Um, So it's not going to show just what happened in that moment. But Alex's blue raincoat, which has been brought up every week, was also tested for blood, which did come back negative and was retested for DNA to find its owner. Defense this whole time that the raincoat was being brought up time and time again was trying to argue that there was no real evidence relevance to the raincoat as it was found at Alec's parents' house and not the hunting cabin. But Alec did go to his parents' house that night. That was his original alibi and everything. Didn't somebody say they saw him there with the raincoat, like putting it there? Yes. So Alec's mother and father are both ill. And their nurse said that they saw Alec come in with a blue raincoat. Prosecution countered the defense's argument and said that the raincoat was actually what most likely carried the murder weapon because it had like ballistics evidence on it. Maggie's sister, Marion Proctor, also testified. She said that Alec, following the death of her sister and nephew, that he had his priorities in the wrong place as he was trying to look like kill himself and all of that. And she called Paul Murdoch little detective because he would try to keep his dad out of trouble and prevent him from abusing prescription pain medication, showing that Paul didn't know that Alec was taking drugs this whole time, which was another theory as to why Alec killed them. Um, So that kind of mitigated that. And then the man who managed the dog kennels, Roger Dale Davis, testified that he was at the dog kennels around 4 p.m. on the day of the murders, just hours before, and he saw no one at the home. He says that the hose hanging at the kennel wasn't rolled the way he would have rolled it before he left, showing that someone could have used the hose during the night of the incident. And there were pools of water near the kennels where they shouldn't have been. Alec had a raincoat, but he was not found with any blood. I was gonna say he had to some, he had to wash that. I mean, it's not hard to wash a raincoat. Literally, what it's for? No. Yeah. Ew. I almost think of that as like a smock, you know? Yeah. No, literally. That of course. Yeah. That's of course just my own internal theory, and it was not brought up. Um, but no, it's just a little between you and I that yeah. we're not sharing. <laughs> Um, And then the other things that were brought up during this week is that it was Alex's potential money laundering. 
his insurance fraud schemes. But again, the judge said that was a bridge too far and would not allow testimony for it. That Alec was paying up to $50,000 a week for drugs from his cousin. His cousin couldn't give him a discount? Or was that just, is that showing how much he is purchasing? I think that's showing how much he's purchasing. I don't know if his, his cousin was giving a discount. This is the same cousin that tried killing him. Mm, perfect. Okay. Um, well, that he yeah, hired that's to kill a lot him. of yeah. money. That's a lot of money. It also explains why he was such a financial ruin. Oh, yeah. It's always drugs. Like, if people... We've talked about this before. If people have no money, I always point to something nefarious, like drugs or... Yeah, there's, like... Alcohol. I, I physically... I don't make $50,000 a week, so I could not imagine spending that on an activity. But... Obviously, he had bills to pay. Doesn't he have bills to pay? Well, obviously, he wasn't making $50,000 a week either because he was stealing it from other people. Right. But yeah, that that's a whole lot of money. Um, and then as week four ended, the defense started calling up their witnesses. And boy, hold on to your seat. Because during week five, Buster takes a stand, the oldest son. He testifies about what happened that night. He said Alec called him and informed him that his brother was dead. He said he Alec asked him if he was sitting down, and he was like, yeah. And then he sounded odd. And then he told me, my brother and mother have been shot. He said that his father was destroyed and heartbroken when he arrived at Moselle that night. And neither him nor Alex stayed the night at the hunting lodge. As both were worried for Buster's safety following the incident. So playing off the fact that someone had killed Buster's mother and brother. He was also asked if Alex said they did him so bad or if I did them so bad. So this had been brought into evidence earlier during Alex's first interview with police. He was recorded saying they did them so bad. And then we had mentioned in an earlier week that an investigator testified that he heard Alex say, I did them so bad. So... Buster was asked on this question if it was they or if it was I, and he testified that it was, in fact, Alec kept saying they did them so bad. Leaning on the fact that Alec was innocent and it was these people. Defense called their own experts during week five, a forensic engineer, Mike Sutton, who recreated the shooting based on his own measurements of um, the hunting lodge, he said the shooter was five feet, two inches tall because of the location, the shell casing and angle of entry and both the doghouse and quail pen, which would dismiss Alec as a shooter as he is taller than five foot, two inches. And he also said the shooter would have likely been firing from the hip to create those angles to which the prosecution argued 
that the shooter could have been moving or kneeling, but the forensic engineer said that his findings determined that even if Alec was kneeling, he wouldn't, he would have been way too tall for the shots to travel those angles. He also said, he also told jurors that it wouldn't have been possible for Alec to hear the gunshots fired at the kennels from inside the home with television on, which was what the defense tried arguing after Paul's Snapchats came into play when it was shown that he was, in fact, right there then. Um, Another expert was brought in on the Wednesday of week five to discuss the mishandling of of the investigation to kind of add some holes into what SLED was bringing to court. They said the law enforcement did not have shoe coverings on as they walked in the crime scene, which contaminated it. That Paul's body was covered in a sheet, but the sheet was not tested for any trace evidence. And his clothing wasn't tested either, so they could have been missing valuable evidence there. And at one point, it was believed that Maggie's phone could have been thrown from Alex's vehicle because there was evidence that the SUV that Alec was driving, the windows went down at one point and Maggie's phone was like pinged nearby. Um, but the defense tried arguing against this, saying that the backlight on her phone could be activated with little motion and that her phone was not lit up after 9.07. But she was supposed to be dead at 8.50. So it's just another like hole in the case, essentially. A partner at Alex's former law firm was test- also testified um, because he was actually went there that night. His name is Mark Ball. He testified about how gruesome of a state Paul was in. If you want to know how Paul was found, you are you can find that online, but it it's really bad. Um, he said he never went to the kennels that night, but confirms that it was Alex's voice on the Snapchat that Paul recorded. And he also testified that Paul, I mean, that Alec kept on using the phrase, they did them so bad, multiple times that night. Then, on the last two days of week five, Thursday and Friday, Alec takes a stand. I was so shook. I was so shook. This is not normal. I think I... I think I texted you. All caps. Like, He's yeah. taking the stand. <laughs> Literally all caps. Because this is truly not normal. Like a defense will beg you not to take the stand because it's so incriminating. And you're technically not supposed to lie on stand. Have people lie on stand, of course. But it's it never sh- looks good for the supposed murderer. Um. So he was asked flat out if he killed his wife and son. To which he replied, I did not shoot my wife or son any time, denying that claim. He admitted that he had lied to law enforcement about being in the kennels that night. And the prosecutor said, you've been able to lie quickly and easily and convincingly if you think it'll save your skin for well over a decade. To which Alec did agree. Um, He also testified that he did tell investigators about being in the kennels and continued to lie because of his opioid addiction made him paranoid. 
which he had a bag of pills on him during his initial police interview. That could be scary, and I get the paranoia, but also his argument for his conversation with Sled, but whenever he was just talking to the local police officers, he also said the same thing. He recounted his versions of events that night. He said he got home and rode around the property with Paul, which would explain the first Snapchat video. He took a shower before Maggie arrived home that night. He said that Maggie had asked him to come to the kennels after dinner, and he originally said no before joining her and Paul later. He said he went to the house shortly after the video was taken at the kennels and sat down on the TV before leaving his mother's house. He said Maggie never planned to go with him to his mom's. Yeah, Maggie's sister, so that was the whole reason Maggie even went there with phone evidence to back her claim. He then said he drove down to the kennels when he got home from his parents' house when he noticed that no one was home, and that's when he noticed the bodies. He checked the bodies after calling 911, during which he got blood under his fingernails, and that's when he tried touching, flipping Paul over, and Paul's phone had fallen out when he was trying to flip Paul over, leading him to touch his phone. So that was Alex's testimony. And then that concluded week five. So as we move on to week six, is just closing remarks to which Alex's defense, they brought up the expert witnesses, that question the autopsy finds, um, and try to really advance the fact that there was two shooters and one of them was 5-2, saying that there was no way that it could be Alec. The state brought back the forensic expert, which picked apart the defense's claims and restated her autopsy. And then again, for closing remarks, the state tells the jury not to let Alec fold them the way he folds so many others. So for Deliberation Day, which was March 2nd, 2023, after 28 days of trial and six total weeks, there was three hours of deliberation before they reached their conclusion, which to me, I thought was incredibly short. I think that is incredibly short. Sometimes it goes days. And whenever there's short jury deliberations, I think it speaks to how well both sides delivered their information. They don't have to go back and ask questions or ask to see, um, you know, this form of evidence again or to watch this video over again too many times. So I think it also speaks to how well it was delivered during the trial as well. It also shows how unanimous the decision is from the very beginning of the deliberation process because that's what's kind of needed for them to reach that conclusion. So if they all go on with the same thing, then you're able to reach that conclusion faster. Alec was found guilty of all counts Thursday evening for the June 7th, 2021 murders of his wife, Maggie, and his youngest son, Paul. He was found, also found guilty of two counts of possession of a deadly weapon during the commission of a violent crime. He was sentenced to two life sentences on March 3rd, and he was sent to maximum security prison, which was supposed to be secret and undisclosed, but it has been released to the public. He also has appealed his case since the verdict, and 
that appeal is in the process currently. So for this trial, there have been a wide range of theories as to what actually happened. Once again, (laughs) there's people like us who made podcasts about it. There was TikToks. There's people on every form of social media talking about it. I had people talking to me about it just in everyday life. Um, So this was a huge case. So everybody had their opinion just like we do. Um, And that, I feel like it's becoming more and more common, again, with social media (laughs) perpetuating everything. But... Um, everybody had opinions on this case, which was so wild. Two major theories that I saw online, which again, have not been proven at all, but one supporting the claim as to why Ella kept saying they did them so dirty is that someone that he owed money to, potentially a drug lord, money launderer, someone killed Maggie and Paul and made Alec watch. Others believed that Paul was the main target and Maggie was just an innocent victim due to the 2019 boat crash. And others believe that Buster actually killed them and Alec took the fall for the murders. Um, There's even theories that Buster and Alec were talking in code and jail phone time recordings Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I definitely think that Buster was his little protege. Buster was supposed to inherit a lot of money if Alec died. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's also that kind of idea of he got rid of anybody else that could inherit that. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of like when you think about royal lines or like in Game of Thrones when they kill people to be able to yeah. be next in line, whatever. Um, so that's part of those theories, too, that I've seen. Obviously, those could come up if this case does get appealed. But for now, Alec has been found guilty of both of these murders. So that does not end the story of Alec. And the hunting lodge. (laughs) I feel like this will never end. (laughs) There's going to be like part 20 when we're like 50 years old. (laughs) And we're still going to be talking about Alec Murdoch. Um, So on March 23rd, all possessions were taken from Marcel, the hunting lodge, and put up for auction. The auction lasted six hours and everything was sold. The hosting auctioneer said it was literally the largest auction he's ever seen. And people even lined up six hours before the door opened at four. No. I would go for like to see, to sightsee, but I don't want, I don't want anything. People wanted this. Literally the thing, like all of the items went for crazy prices. I can't even fathom it. A Yeti cup, which you can buy at the store for $35, sold for $400. That's just... That's just people being like, oh, like. You're romanticizing the fact that two people like lost their life there. Yeah. A beer koozie, which I feel like I have like 30 of those that are free. Sold for $500. Be so for real. 
Mounted antlers sold for 10 grand. No. And their like leather furniture set sold for 30 grand. That's insane. I know. Like, that's insane. I would have to go just to Sightsee because I couldn't afford anything, even if I wanted it. The house was also sold on March 29th, so six days after the auction, and it sold for $3.9 million. It was valued at $4 million, so that's a pretty reasonable um, sell. Again, it is a 1,700-acre South Carolina hunting lodge that – it's a hunting lodge, but it's a hunting mansion. Like, it has a bunch of properties on it. It's huge. And the case of Maggie and Paul, the evidence that was found, what let's led to connect it to the hit and run of Stephen Smith. No one knows this connection. Sled has not released like what they found that led them to believe that these two incidents are connected. But on April 3rd, the body was exhumed and an independent autopsy was performed on this body. This independent autopsy has been finished and the body is now resting again. Um, but it, more evidence is obviously going to come to light soon as we will keep you guys updated. But Buster claims that this connection is just vicious rumors and denies it all. April 13th, a federal judge denied a second request for Alec Murdoch's convicted accomplice, Russell Lafayette, for a new trial, which this new trial was supposed to be based on Alec's testimony during his double murder. So Russell is the former CEO of Plumetto State Bank and was convicted in February 2020 to, um, on six financial crime charges related to Alec's decade-long corruption schemes, which totaled millions of dollars. And Russell wanted a retrial because Alec testified during his murder trial that he was innocent, saying Russell Lafayette never conspired with me to do anything. However, the judge said that Alec was not a credible witness and called him a serial liar. Which is fair. On April 17th, there was a motion hearing set for the dismissal of a case that accused Alec and his firm for taking settlement money funds in a car accident injury case. The results of this hearing have not been announced yet. Alec Murdoch is also requesting more time to fight the insurance fraud lawsuit filed by the family of his late housekeeper, who had mysteriously died after tripping at their family home, Gloria Shatterfield. His request has been approved, and he was given until May 1st for more time. He argued that prison conditions prohibited him from properly fighting a legal challenge, which was brought on by Gloria's two sons, Tony and Brian. Motions and hearings will continue through the near future, which involve all of Alec's financial crimes and the other crimes he may be related to, including the death of Stephen Smith. This is just the beginning, so stay tuned as we continue to give you guys updates. Next week on Uneasy, we will be covering one of the most intense robbery stories you may ever hear. Or is it? 
Make sure to tune in next week as we talk about a brutal crime that occurred where they sell your favorite leggings. But uncovering the real story will involve a lot of red flags. Tune in wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Thank you.